0: To execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we talk about canon, legends, and so much more. And my name is Beth, and here with me today is our co-host, Ryan Schweck.
1: Hey, it's good to finally be here. If you've listened to Needless Things, we've been talking about starting this for quite a while. And we came to this because if you've listened to any of the Star Wars episodes on Needless Things with either me, Beth, or Chad, at some point you have probably heard us go into a tangent about the books. And usually, you know, it gets the uh actually, and then we go into all the stuff that has happened in New Canaan. So we decided to just go ahead and put it together and devote a whole podcast to it. So I'm glad to be here and let's throw it to Chad.
2: Hi, I'm Chad. Um, this is a podcast about Star Wars fiction, largely focusing on the new canon novels, meaning the novels uh, published since Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm. We'll be covering other things, maybe checking in on the comics or revisiting, like Beth said, old legends uh, books that deserve discussion. Here's the thing we all love Star Wars books. Um, for me, a majority of my Star Wars entertainment has come from books. Uh, there are more stories told in the books than in the movies or the shows or anything. Um, from *Spinner of the mind's eye to the empire to lost stars the novels have been at least for me and i think for beth and ryan as well uh the thing that keeps our favorite fictional universe alive while everyone else is waiting for the movies uh yeah. i do want to say obligatory spoiler warning that uh, this is not a review show this is more of a book club we expect those coming in to either have done the homework ahead of time or if you have no intention to read them maybe we can be your cliff notes We will also, without question, be talking about other things in the Star Wars universe and spoiling those things, too. So if that bothers you, be warned. Uh, This is going to be a a fairly Star Wars literate podcast with a a knowledge of the universe that um, we just. How to put it? (laughs) A knowledge of the universe that uh, is a little more advanced than other people may have. So uh, we're just going to talk and not explain what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, it probably won't appeal to like. Well, not appeal, but it'll be a little difficult to keep up for the casual fan. Yes. But, you know, I'd say it's more like fast casual.
2: So we're not going to
1: go like (laughs) all the way, you know, fine dining into Star Wars, but more fast casual.
2: Absolutely. So if, uh, as Beth says, we're going to start off with the first two volumes of Timothy Zahn's new Thrawn trilogy. So, Beth, if you want to go ahead, let's just let's just dive in and start talking about Thrawn.
0: All right. Well, in the essence of time, because my synopsis, if I've been able to finish it, would have been 10 pages long. We're just going to read the synopsis from Wikipedia and get into some talking points based off that and my 10 pages of talking points. One of the most cunning and ruthless warriors in the history of the Galactic Empire, Grand Admiral Thrawn, is also one of the most captivating characters in the Star Wars. I don't know why it says in the Star Wars on Wikipedia, but...
2: It's because it's (laughs) fan-written. I like it when they call it the
0: Star Wars. The Star Wars. (laughs) From his introduction in best-selling author Timothy Zahn's classic, Heir to the Empire, through his continuing adventures in Dark Force Rising, The Last Command, and beyond, Grand Admiral Thrawn has earned an iconic status among Star Wars' greatest villains. But Thrawn's origins and the story of his rise in the Imperial ranks have remained mysterious. Now, in Star Wars Thrawn... Timothy Zahn chronicles the fateful events that launched the blue-skinned, red-eyed master of military strategy and lethal warfare into the highest realms of power and infamy. After Thrawn is rescued from exile by Imperial soldiers, his deadly ingenuity and keen tactical abilities swiftly capture the attention of Emperor Emperor Palpatine. And just as quickly, Thrawn proves to be as indispensable to the Empire as he is ambitious as devoted as its most loyal servant, Darth Vader, and a brilliant warrior never to be underestimated. On missions to rout smugglers, snare spies, and defeat pirates, he triumphs time and again, even as his renegade methods infuriate superiors while inspiring ever greater admiration from the Empire. As one promotion follows another in his rapid ascension to greater power, he schools his trusted aide, Ensign Eli Vanto, in the Arts of Combat and Leadership and the secrets of claiming victory. But even though Thrawn dominates the battlefield, he has much to learn in the arena of politics, where ruthless administrator Arinda Price holds the power to be a potential ally or brutal enemy. All these lessons will be put to the ultimate test when Thrawn rises to Admiral and must pit all knowledge, instinct, and battle force at his command against an insurgent uprising that threatens not only innocent lives, but also the Empire's grip on the galaxy and his own laid, carefully laid plans for future ascendancy. So right off the bat, I got some talking points there, because I don't know that I would describe Thrawn in this iteration as one of the most ruthless warriors in the history of the Empire. Because this is not a ruthless Thrawn here that we're seeing. I don't think. Uh. I don't either.
1: I think he's much more – he's calculating in this new iteration um, like he used to be, but not – yeah, not as bloodthirsty or not as messy as it used to be. I I
0: feel like he's going out of his way in many instances here to try and cut the, the cost of life and to help save innocent people, and that's not really ruthless to me.
2: Well, I believe Zahn is going through great lengths to make him more sympathetic in this book. Um, mm-hmm. considering that he is the protagonist and not the antagonist like he is in other stories that he's in. So the fact that he's the lead character and that you, you have to care about him, he can't be an evil monster the entire time. Um, and I think Zahn has an image of him as a little more noble Um, yeah. than maybe he was before. I think he shows moment, moments of ruthlessness in this, but it, yeah, he's definitely not one of the most ruthless warriors in the history of the Empire, at least not that we've seen so far. So.
0: He's he's more of an antagonist
1: than he is a villain. For me, he almost, in this new iteration, seems like a samurai. Like, there's an honor code to it. There's, you know, he'll sell yourself out and go help the Empire, but he's still abhorrent to his code. Um, and has a very reason why he does everything.
2: I mean, was he ever truly evil, though? I wouldn't call him evil. I don't think he's evil. Yeah. Nah,
1: I mean, he's not a Tarkin or a...
2: Or a Palpatine.
1: Princey or anything like that. Right. But, yeah. you know. Um,
2: yeah. Which does lead to, to a question that we'll get to, which is why he's with the Empire in the first place. I mean, and this book goes the, a lot to explain why he's working with the Empire, but he does not seem to be uh, 100% on board with the Empire's plans, with the Empire's attitudes.
1: Right. And I kind of wonder if we're going to see that in the new trilogy, like if there's going to be some revelation about why he's really here. Well, right, I mean, this, I,
3: yeah, go
1: ahead. I, I feel like they,
0: you know, he gives his reasons. He gives his reasons to the emperor, but I don't feel like we've still got the full story.
2: Right. Well, he then gives his reasons to Night Swan as well at the end of the book. He does reveal his true purpose at the end of the book. Um, so we'll get to that. But he, he, he. It, what, it, what is interesting about the first, the beginning of this book is I do believe it's almost identical to a short story that Timothy Zahn wrote in the nineties. That was like an online thing or maybe in a star Wars insider thing, which was how, how Thrawn was discovered. And it's very similar to the story. Um, I'm trying to find the name of it. I don't have it in front of me. Um, so I do, I think, think one of the things we see in this book is, uh, Timothy Zahn, who of course created this character in 1991. Um, Adapting him to the modern canon, to the post, to the Disney canon, while also um, trying to retain as much of his original ideas as he possibly can, and 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 not not betraying what he considers the soul of the character and the, and the backstory of the character, while also um, adapting him to this new timeline. And to be honest with you, adapting to how he is going to be, he has been used, and maybe will be used again in other media. Um, he 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 didn't write the stories of rebels on Star Wars Rebels. If people don't know, uh, Grand Abel Thrawn was on two seasons of Star Wars Rebels. Um, yep. And I highly recommend that show. And he did not have control over that. So one thing he is doing here is he is writing around rebels. Right. right? He's in, in as we'll see as we go through this whole trilogy. One of the things he has to do with these books more so than he ever had to. Back in 91, when he wrote here The Empire, he had basically carte blanche. He could just do whatever he wanted to do. He told a brand new story. Um, this time he's working well, way more into the corporate synergy aspect of things. And he is working way more into, he probably had to get a lot more permission for every decision that he made. Um, and he is appeasing more masters than just his editor uh, with this book. So.
3: He, he, probably,
0: he probably had a hotline to Filoni the entire time he was writing it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and in these days, baloney trumps to put these on, which wouldn't have been the case, you know, fifteen years ago.
1: Yeah, um, and well, and with that though, I think he's used a lot of it to his advantage. In this one, you know, you get a lot of backstory about Governor Price, who had a pretty heavy presence in Revels. Um, yep. And I really enjoyed that part, like seeing where she came from, why she's such an awful person. Um, she really
2: is. She really
1: is but it made me appreciate her so much more on rebels because you know when sabine kicks her in the face i'm like all right take that
0: <laughs> well i didn't i watched all of rebels and i'm actually in a rewatching right now and i didn't feel like i cared about her or her backstory or who she was she was just you know an evil imperial yet another evil imperial and I didn't think I would care about her, but reading her portion of the book, I was like, oh, I actually do care about her, and her backstory is interesting. And not everybody who works for the Empire starts out as an evil monster. Sometimes they just get screwed over too much.
1: So along with that, like in this book, you know, a lot of – well, some of Price's stuff is obviously about the mining and getting the metals to build the Death Star – um, and they've gone – this book, it starts, then it continues on the other ones that Thrawn does not support the Death Star. Um, that seems that in new Disney canon, like that's a big thing. Apparently nobody liked the Death Star. Like, the Except Emperor, The Emperor is all in. Krennic is all in. Everyone else is like, no Death Star. This is a bad idea. Um,
2: Tarkin kind of digs it, but Tarkin kind of just digs it because the Emperor digs it.
1: Yeah, and Tarkin really in the other books doesn't start digging it until he realizes it's going to work. And then he's like, <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, I totally love this thing. This oh, is yeah, great. it's total bad. He's totally well,
1: and, and then he's like,
0: what? oh, wait, I loved this thing all along. I should run it. Put yeah. me in charge.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you're right. And the, the all three books do weave themselves into uh, stories like Rogue One mm-hmm. uh, and Rebels quite definitely, I think. I think it, it does a good job of of – beefing up those things i mean you know when we see krennic and tarkin sparring in rogue one um we also know that they were sparring with thrawn too you know and that he was part of this and um and the fact that his tie defender program which is features prominently on the show is something that is it in danger of being funded because of the death star Mm -hmm. and it's his alternative to the death star Um, so I, I I do think Zahn does a really good job, by the way, I'm going to make a mistake every once in a while. The fact that, that Timothy Zahn named his grand admiral Thrawn (laughs) means that sometimes you're going to slip up and say their own name. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, by the way, fairly egomaniacal, but (laughs) let's see, he's the smart, he's the Sherlock Holmes of space and he's the new emperor. I'll just, I'll just have him rhyme with my name. Um, (laughs) But uh, but I think he's done a pretty good job of 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 weaving it in um uh to everything else into this the this new canon that we're all learning and all discovering. And you
1: know, this book, they do a good job too of weaving in kind of some of his strengths that carried over from the old canon and updating it as long you know as far as like looking at art and pulling out what he needs and having these long term plans that he doesn't really share with everybody that all of a sudden click into place. Um, I think those in some cases actually work better than they used to. And part of that is, you know, you had those times where you see some stuff from his perspective and how he's viewing things, um, which kind of helped me with this version of Thrawn.
0: And I really like the, the, per- from his perspective portions that they put in there. Cause that's the first time we've ever gotten to know what's going on in his head. And what's going on in his head isn't ruthless; it's strategic, and he's always thinking twelve steps ahead. And I, I like seeing him, his inner workings a little bit more, rather than just seeing him as here's this bad guy who's trying to kill rebels. And
2: well, he's or, thinking thirty years ahead, fifty yeah. <laughs> years ahead. You know, at the end of the day, his 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 final plan, his reason for joining the Empire, is decades out right? He, he's, he's, he's in it for the long term. Um, and I agree with you that getting into his head, um, we'll get into it more in the second book, but I think, you know, and one thing to bring up uh, right off the bat is our other major character in the book, um, Dr. Watts, uh, I mean, Eli Vanto. Um, <laughs> and uh, Eli, who is uh, the ensign who is assigned to Thrawn as his, uh, what, his interpreter and then as his aide, right? Um, uh, he's kind of the it's a Dr. Watson, Jay Garrett character or whatever that that we get to see Thrawn's genius through, mm-hmm. um, like we saw before. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll get into later why people love that character so much, because I'm not 100% sure why. Um, I like him, but
0: I, I, I was very surprised when you told me that people are insane for him.
1: They are. Yeah. You yeah. go to a convention or, like, go to any kind of panel on Star Wars fiction – they love Elivanto. And I have yeah, I'm the same way. I mean he's fine, you know, like you said, he's a good kind of point of view character, but I don't get it. Like, whatever, he's there. I do really like that throughout the book you kind of see Thrawn training him at first pretty low key and kind of getting him to talk through things and to find the patterns like he can until you kind of see what he does with him at the end.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say, is that you, you start to think, oh, it's nice, Thrawn has a friend, he's making a friend. Oh, no, he's building someone that he can use for something else.
2: Yeah, Thrawn has no friends. <laughs> no. This is not, he's not Paleon. Um, yeah. yeah, I would I w- I would agree. I, I think Eli is, yeah, he's good for exactly that. He's good for uh, bringing us into the story and for getting a, um a slightly more human point of view on things. You know, he's a guy who thought his entire career in the Imperial army was going to be a supply clerk. And uh, here he is, you know, out with this crazy alien admiral um, doing rescue missions and hunting down smugglers and pirates and everything. And and, and so there is an appealing thing about that character. Um, it just, the, uh, an obsession with him. I don't know obsession's obsession is probably a strong word, but the love for him is a little weird to me because he, on the page, he just, he is that he, he's a role more than he is a character to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yeah. he fills a very specific role, but like I can't point to like a character trait of his that I love or anything. Um, <laughs> but he's fine. He's a cool character.
0: Well, he, he serves a purpose and his purpose is for us to see him get built to be used for something else and to see things from a human perspective. And I just it, it could be anybody. I, I don't understand why people are so insane for him.
2: So Beth, what that. else we got going on?
0: Um, Well, let's talk about Governor, well, not quite Governor Price when the book starts, because when the book starts, she's nobody.
2: Absolutely nobody, yeah.
0: She is no one from nowhere, because Lothal really is a backwater, just like half the other worlds we visit in the Star Wars universe. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, yeah. We seem to spend a lot of time on backwaters.
1: Yeah, I want to read a book where everybody just goes to, like, the nice planets. (laughs) And that's all it is. No visiting, like, some planet we've never heard of. Just like, yep, I went to this planet because everybody loves it. And that's my, where I go.
2: My summer in Naboo.
0: Yeah. Catalenta. <laughs> uh, I hear Gatalenta's nice. Yeah. <laughs> they just uh, hang out and meditate. Let's go to Gatalenta. Yeah. So, Governor Price, to me, is it, when they're talking about somebody being ruthless, that's who they should be talking about. Because she goes real hard, real quick. <laughs> she switches from being a, well... I guess I'm going to get revenge on this guy who screwed my family over to, um, I'm going to take down everybody.
2: She does quickly then become a being guy. of pure ambition. Yeah. That's what she becomes. Um, yeah, she's more identifiable when it's a revenge story, <laughs> but when that kind of blows up to her wanting to just have power, basically, um, she gets a lot less sympathetic. Um, But uh, I I, I agree. I think that her story was okay. The little diversion of her like taking self-defense classes.
1: (laughs) I already brought that up to Beth. Yeah. When when we were trying to call you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The karate side quest.
2: It (laughs) seems like such a long way to go to show that she's able to hold her own in a fight against Sabine on Rebels.
1: Yeah. (laughs) She had to level
0: up first.
2: (laughs) Yeah. She has a fist fight with Sabine on Rebels. And so to make that make sense, apparently they went back and had her in a working in a dojo or whatever, taking self-defense uh, classes. So that was a little, that's the stuff where I, I feel like the book gets bogged down a little bit. Um, well,
3: she,
0: she, they made it, I guess, try to have a point by having her have a fist fight with somebody towards the end of the book.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, they, they do. Um, yeah, she's an interesting character. I'm with you, Beth. Though. She never made much of an impression on me on rebels other than just being the bad guy. Um, but there were more interesting bad guys to be following, so she was just a shirt. Um, but uh, I, after reading this book, and then as Rebels finished up, her—I'm uh, not going to say spoilers, but sorry, spoilers. But when she uh, bites it on Rebels, I actually cared okay. um, because of this book, not because of anything Rebels had done, but because of the book. I—I um, I, I was like, oh, now I really know who she is, and—and uh, and I still don't like her, <laughs> but I know who she is
0: but at least it matters. It, it matters somewhat when she dies because you knew who she was. Yes. Rather, rather than just, oh, somebody else died. Okay. Yes. Another Imperial's dead. Who cares?
2: Another Imperial I'd love to talk about just briefly in this and how cool he is is uh, Wolf Ularan. Um, yes. And how they've brought him, made him a much, you know, for those who don't know, Wolf Lauren was a the white-haired dude in the... Death Star Council scene in A New Hope, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't say anything. He just kind of sits there, looking kind of Sam Elliott like, a little like Sam Elliott. And <laughs> then, um, but he's in this. He's ISB, right? Yeah. He's an ISB agent, and uh, they've and I believe didn't he show up on? He's been on Rebels as well. Was yeah. he ever on Clone Wars?
1: Not that I remember. <sighs> I don't remember him being yeah. on
2: Clone Wars. Yeah, but uh, he. I thought they've made it kind of an interesting, another one of these good people working for the empire characters, um, uh-huh. you know, where, yeah, he, he, you know, he's a military guy or he's not a military guy. He's a, he's a espionage guy. He's an intelligence officer. So that's even worse, but still he seems like a decent person or someone just trying to do the right thing. And, uh, uh-huh. and I, I it, it, it's, it's, kind of the mission statement of a lot of these authors is to bring dimensionality to characters into people that you can't do that within a two-hour movie or a 20-minute television show you just you just can't and so you know having these characters that are a little more conflicted a little more interesting um i don't know i really like you lauren in this i thought he was really cool
0: so let me ask you guys this night swan yes or no because I, I find that he is more of a plot device than a character.
2: I mean, his name is dumb.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I
2: mean, in the name, it makes sense once they explain what his name means. That the Night Swan is a bird that only sings as the sun goes down. Meaning that he is, uh, he's there to fight when things are darkest, you know. Um, it's still stupid. And, um, I agree with you. He, I mean, he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be his Moriarty.
3: Uh-huh.
0: He's
2: supposed to be Thrawn's professor Moriarty.
0: But he doesn't come off that way. Other than that one time he pulls one over on him and then it, it makes Thrawn so angry that he spends the rest of his career trying to take him down.
2: <sighs> yeah, I don't think it hundred percent works. I agree. He he made no impact on me whatsoever. Um, and the reveal that he was a guy that he met earlier in the story, like, I was like, okay, I barely remember that guy. That was, yeah. like, 400 pages ago. You yeah.
1: You're random pirate on that one ship, like. Yeah. Great.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a while back, so. Yeah.
1: I definitely don't feel like it justified when he, like, says, all right, well, you're great. You can come join the Chiss Ascendancy. Yeah. Like. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why would you want that guy?
2: Is the Chiss Ascendancy like those villages in Italy that are selling houses for, like, five bucks?
1: <laughs> yes. Are they just, like – are they just
2: need people and Thrawn's just out there getting people to come pay taxes? Like yeah. I
1: The Chiss are going to be pissed. They're like, the ship's going to come back, and they're going to be, like, finally throwing his Sinister resources to Why really are you help you us... mission.
2: And it's Eli and Night Swan. Why are you sending us all these white people? Yeah. <laughs> The last thing we need is a whole bunch of white people coming to our place. Yeah, I don't – I. Uh, it, yeah, that moment feels really false to me. I don't – where he's – because, yeah, he doesn't have any – tell me one thing about his character. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, I mean, there's nothing about it.
1: Eli, at least, you can kind of justify that he's been with Tarkin the whole time. So – I mean Thrawn. He's been with Thrawn the whole time, so he can kind of fill the chiss in – Hey, here's where he's at. Here's what we're doing. I've seen kind of the inner workings. NightSwan doesn't really have that. (laughs) Yeah, what does he have?
2: (laughs) I mean, the idea is supposed to be that he has thwarted Thrawn, and he is Thrawn's strategic equal, and so he would be... But he's not. The book doesn't actually show that. The book tells us that. But it doesn't show us that. And I think it's a failing of the plotting of the book um, that he just doesn't that, that character, you know, and, and and I'll say this, I think one of the problems with this book, and I did, I do enjoy this book quite a bit, but one of the problems with is I don't think the, other than Price and Thrawn, I don't think the characterizations are all that great. Um, I think the supporting characters are fairly, is Admiral Farrow, Farrow, whatever yeah. her name is, like, they're, they're all fine, but they're interchangeable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really does feel like a whole book where the plot isn't that important except to introduce you to Thrawn and make you understand how it works
2: and his ascension through the ranks,
1: right? Yeah. You just to get him to the place you need him to be to really start the stories of Thrawn
2: and how he goes from long haired hippie outcast to grand admiral.
1: Yeah. I mean, which is fine. You've got to do that when you bring him back. Um, but I mean, I think the plot of this book kind of meanders a little bit and,
2: Well, it's very episodic, right?
1: Right. There's not a real big through line to this
2: one. No, Night Night Swan is Zon's attempt to create a through line. um, But so much of it is episodic. It's him and Eli go and do this thing Mm -hmm. and then cut to time later and Thrawn's a rank higher and they go do another thing and then cut to. And then the one thing that's supposed to keep it together is a Night Swan thing. And it's probably the thing I care about the least in the entire book. And so it doesn't hold it together for me. Um, but hopefully, we get a chance to talk about Thrawn in school. I liked, I liked Academy Thrawn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my notes. Yeah. I didn't realize just how much everybody in the Empire hates non humans.
1: Yes, uh, they're space Nazis. They are. It bothers me to know it. All these people walk around dressing up like
2: stormtroopers
1: and all that. They're Nazis. Like <laughs> you can love the Empire all you want; they're bad people.
2: It was an expanded that was an expanded universe idea, um, right. a Legends idea that the that the Empire was way racist. Um, it actually makes sense if you look to. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I thought about this a lot, given where Palpatine's from. Yep. And in Naboo is a society that was segregated, where where the the Gungans were thought of as less than by the Naboo. You know, Boss Nass and Phantom Menace is very resentful of the way the Naboo think of the Gungans. So that, it's not a total stretch to think that Palpatine would be a little bit of a racist. Plus, if you meet the Gungans, you know,
0: I was going to say, to be fair,
2: they're Gungans. They're Gungans. <laughs> um, but uh, but this is made, I think this book is one of the first confirmations in the new canon of this idea. And it's not that it's necessarily um, like it was in the Empire, uh, the law. It's just the general tendency, the feeling right is the, right. the the sentiment, you know.
1: Yeah. And it's you like, kind of see that in the other books later where like every once in a while an alien pops up and it's remarked on a whole lot like oh you must know what you're doing or whatever to be here.
2: Well, he's not just an alien, he's an unknown alien. No one's ever seen anybody that looks like him. Um, you know, it also one thing I I thought the book pointed out that was really smart though. Uh, when it was talking about the racism when he was when him and Eli have to go to the academy for their wacky adventures that that one of the reasons that the that the Imperials hate aliens is because a large chunk of the separatists were aliens. Uh And so that is left over from uh, from the Clone Wars. And I thought that was a really astute point. Yeah, the idea that you know the the separatists were from all over, they were those little fucking bug things and everything, and this is like, and this is carried over, you know.
1: Right, and I think that's something that I never, I guess, until I really started reading more of the books, thought of that they still the Empire views, even though we know the separatists were run by you know Palpatine and Dooku and all them, the general public views the rebels as separatists. Yeah, and they actually in Alphabet Squadron. That's how grandmother refers to them. She doesn't call them rebels. She calls them the separatists. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, yeah, that's a good idea. That yeah, they were the aliens, and we were the noble white people in white uniforms. <laughs>
2: that's, that's fair. Yeah, but I mean, and Thrawn does, and 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 the academy sequence has a lot of th- You know, it, it also the one thing that it introduced that I. I don't think I'd ever seen before was also a, a prejudice towards outer rim people,
3: uh-huh.
2: you know, Eli's from the outer rim and he, you know, which is the equivalent of being from the sticks. And he gets a lot of crap for that in this story too.
0: See, yet another backwater.
2: Yep. Well, yeah, most of the galaxy is going to be backwater. Most, <laughs> the, most of the world's backwater. Um. And uh, yeah, so it was, uh, that was a very strong thread through the Academy years was kind of their, you know, these guys who are bad guys, the Imperials, who are amongst a bunch of other Imperials, but they're slightly less bad because the other ones are racist.
3: Mm-hmm. And it
2: lets you kind of cheer for them a little bit more than you than you would, I guess, because they're being treated poorly for the wrong reasons. Um,
0: because that hazing was way harsh.
2: When they try to kill him? Yeah. yeah.
0: That's some tough him. hazing.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I like the academy stuff. I think it's kind of fun. Uh, but
1: yeah, I was trying to remember what else ha- what else happens in the academy stuff.
2: Uh, well, he's given a lieutenant's badge.
1: Yeah, um, on purpose to when he's a him. cadet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah to get well, him what,
0: picked on more.
2: Well, that I, was one of the themes, right? Was that he may be brilliant, but he doesn't know anything about politics. Yeah. You know, he has no political sense whatsoever when the book starts. That's one of the things that Eli does teach him is how to navigate politically. He's the one that tells him, "Don't wear that."
1: Uh, I do feel kind of bad for Eli though at that point, because you know he—it's not where he wants to go. No, he wants a desk job. Yeah, and he keeps getting dragged around to, like, the Blood Crow, which, by the way, is one of my favorite ship names that they've come (laughs) up with recently, the Blood Crow. Yeah, it's pretty good. I didn't even know there were crows in Star Wars, but,
2: you know, we learned in Solo that they speak Italian in space, so, like, you know, yeah, we'll deal with it. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. He, he, that's, that's, that is probably the most kind of endearing part of it. That and his, uh, constant, constantly being passed over for promotion. Mm -hmm. Which does
1: make the scene where he finally does start getting promoted by Thrawn. I mean, it's a nice little scene where he pulls him aside.
2: So. Yeah. I don't know. Are we supposed to think Thrawn cares about him at all?
1: I think he does. I
2: think think he does a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think he grows too. I don't think so at first. But I think later in the book, especially when he does start getting the promotions and stuff like that, I think he does. He's not all bad. They're
0: they're not like BFFs and, and they're going to do each other's hair or anything, but I, I think that he he would not have sent someone off to the Chiss ascendancy that he didn't care about. I mean, unless it's Night Swan. Yeah. Never mind that point doesn't make any sense cuz it Knight's doesn't
2: matter nice one Swan doesn't make it he <laughs> he gets blown up. He so does. He, he does not. He doesn't quite get there. So he he gets blown up. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at like the summary of the book and so many things happen and yet not a whole lot happens.
1: Yeah. yeah. It really doesn't.
2: <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's just a sequence of him solving problems. Which I it's... think we'll see going forward is kind of what Zahn's doing with all three of these books.
0: It's a good book. I enjoy it very much, but it is it's it's a lot of setup and makes all the more reason why the next book we're going to talk about pissed me off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, there's some and I do think it's actually like one of the things the emperor really wants him for and makes it clear is that he wants maps how to get to the unknown regions through hyperspace. And you know, Thrawn doesn't help him where the Chiss are and where their bases are, but he starts helping him with how to get out there. And as we talk about all these books, there's a big obsession in all the new canon on the Emperor wants to get to the Unknown Regions. Um, and this is where you kind of start to see it, which is an interesting. Thing. So you've got the Emperor wanting that and Thrawn, you know, kind of reveals he's here to get the Emperor – The Empire to help the chess out eventually. And I don't know. Do they say? Yeah, they don't say the name.
2: Uh, No, no, it's still it's it's still a very vague threat. Um, It is the Vong uh, in every way, except for it's not.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: it's the same idea.
1: And we'll get to that. I'm still really unclear what kind of threat they are, but (laughs) we'll get there.
2: Uh, I don't think we've seen the threat, actually. We'll see. Um, But uh, yeah, no, he he. I agree with you on the outer rims thing, outer rim thing. There has been a, um, or the unknown territories. There has been a big push in a lot of the books as as you know, about the, about the, uh, the unexplored region. Right. And the the unknown territories leading up to, you know, Exegol. Right. And so it is, it, it is interesting that that's what Palpatine is, um, uh, sees him probably the biggest asset about him is his knowledge about there. Uh-huh. Uh, and everything but uh, yeah I don't know uh, I, I think that uh, now what did we think about his um, the way he appeals to the emperor because like it, it strained a little credulity to me that they would find this alien on a planet and they would bring him right to Palpatine
0: yeah because you could easily just you could just as easily get force choked for showing up with Thrawn as you could get hey good job buddy I wanted this alien
2: yeah but they dropped these they dropped a lot of hints and again we'll get into it in just a minute about him knowing Anakin yep yeah and that Palpatine already knew that story so Palpatine had already read the next book <laughs> or half the next book and um and he he must have had that the idea for allegiance in his head because he dropped so many hints about the time he knew Anakin right um and he's trying to draw this parallel this uh, contrast between Vader and Thrawn.
1: Yeah, um, I just assumed that at some point Anakin had told him.
2: Like, yeah, no, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, that he would tell him. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I when I was going back through the first book, I had forgotten how many hints there were about the plot of the second book. Yeah. Because of that, um, but he's interesting.
1: Well, speaking of, are we ready to move to book the second? I think
2: we yeah, are Yeah, well, yeah, what we we'll, what we'll do is uh, we're going to we're going to talk about the second book and then next episode we're going to cover the third book and then we'll have a more general discussion. Yeah. of uh, of everything in the context. We're just kind of going through details here and, and little things about the books, but I I do want next week to have a uh, a broader discussion of uh, what all this means for for Star Wars.
1: Yeah. So, the second book, I mean, let's get it out there right away it is the weakest of the three um thrawn alliances uh so thrawn alliances you know if, if you've read it it's split into two parts uh you have the anakin and thrawn so anakin back when he's in the clone wars um they're kind of going out and hunting down padme who has disappeared while she was looking for her handmaiden and uncovers a separatist droid factory and so they kind of work together to get her back um and she's there because one of her handmaidens who surprisingly they've done a lot of characterizations of in the new books um one of her handmaidens went there on a mission and disappeared so padme goes out um and so you kind of see anakin and thrawn working together and thrawn kind of sizing him up for how jedi work um and kind of looking at what the republic can do at that point um and then in the end they blow up the whole place um yeah they uh, this is again one of these weird lines that they put through all these books they're out there making special Materials. I think it's what Cortosis in this one. Cortosis, yeah. Yeah, that deflects blasters and can turn off a lightsaber, which is weird. It doesn't stop it. It turns it off. Um, But this is another thing that comes up in New Canaan again and again. We are constantly finding new materials or shields that will stop a lightsaber. Um, And here it kind of makes sense that – and one thing I did kind of like, a detail they put in, was that they've made battle droids – with it um but then also there's some clone armor that's got this cortis cortosis in it which is kind of showing like yep order 66 is coming and he's preparing for it for the clones um and then on the other side the other half of the book and there's interspersed like uh, i don't remember they're not chapter to chapter are they
2: no it's a few chapters at a time but it does cross back and forth
1: yeah um, you've got the Vader and Thrawn story, um, where they, you know, there's a the Emperor senses a disturbance in the Force.
2: Yeah, we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, just you know, there's a disturbance, and so we go back out. He sends them out together, and we go back to the planet where it started in the Anakin and Thrawn. And it is what this book mainly feels like, which is corporate synergy. And you go to Batuu. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Batuu is where Galaxy's Edge takes place in Disney. Um,
2: Specifically Black Spire. Outpost
1: and they here. go to Black Spire. Yeah. Like
0: yeah. Batu is you know, the new Tatooine. It's the new center of everything.
1: It really is. And the problem is, if you were to ask me what makes Black Spire like different than anywhere else, in the star Wars universe that has a bar and a uh, pretty much a bar. That's and some, where ruffian, you
2: know. and some ruffians, some ruffians. Right. Stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There, there's no reason for it to be there. Um,
2: no, and I so, can go, I could go make a lightsaber. Right. That's there what makes it
1: different. Pay 200 yeah. bucks and make yourself a lightsaber. And so I they, will. they go back out and they start hunting down, you know, what the disturbance on the forest is. And then we get introduced to the Grisks. Are we saying that right? Is that how y'all pronounced it? Sure.
0: So. I, I had I have the audiobook of this one, so yes.
1: Oh, it Please. is the Grisks. All right. Okay. So the Grisks are going to be our new bad guys. Um, maybe. Maybe. You <laughs> yeah. know, I don't really know. Um, and this is a question I have that we'll talk about, how exactly the Grisks take over things. But their deal is, basically, they go to your world and vaguely – make you give up and work for them and then you start working for the gris so they are really
0: really <laughs> really convincing they're great salesmen
1: i guess um, so they hire these people and what we find out eventually is they are they have stolen chis kids and the chis turns out use children up until they're 13 who have some sort of force power that allowed them to navigate through hyperspace. Um, So then we go back and we, you know, get our Gris children back. And um, he allows, Devader in the end allows them to leave. Um, You know, the Gris allow them to kind of have some otherworldly, they have like a weapon that encases you in a kind of stone, They've got lightning guns. Lightning guns, yeah. They shoot insects that also do the liquid <laughs> stone. So yeah, it's Vong light. Um, yeah. And then in the end, you know, Vader lets the little Chiss children go back. You can go home. Um, it's very, it's hinted. It never comes out that Thrawn sure does know who Vader is. Um, he suspects. Yeah, I, I think they made it I clear. think he knows. I think he knows. Um, and you kind of get that more Vader not fully trusting Thrawn. Like there's a lot of talk about who are you loyal to. Um, and, you know, Thrawn's pretty honest. Like, yeah, I'll work for the Empire, but, yeah. you know, if anything happens, um, the Chiss are my number one. They're, they're his main his main squeeze um so yeah i mean that's the basics of the book oh i do remember they do know that the force word um <laughs> the word, i'm not gonna be able to say it whatever however you pronounce it is translated to skywalker it's so, for, it's
2: it's for the uh, it's the thing that they call the the forces of children yeah they, they call them skywalkers
1: they called them skywalkers which was a little cheesy um i mean overall it, it, the book's not bad no. i don't think i mean it's fine it, the, all the talk about stupid old batu is dumb um but padme is padme um
2: i'll get in. i want to talk about that yeah,
1: yeah yeah she has various adventures with three dudes in a <laughs> lockup thing um we again in this book learn mining is bad, and we blow up the planet eventually. Or we didn't blow up the planet, but we heard it real bad.
2: Well, and it's Anakin that does it, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which – and I will say I thought that was a good point because it again shows Anakin. There's a very big point of Anakin acts really impulsively, and people tell him not to do it. And he – nope, and does it and causes a bunch of damage. Um,
2: it's almost as if we could have used these character beats in the movies to believe someone's fall to the dark side.
1: Yep. Yeah. If you yeah. don't read the Expanded Universe books, it does nothing <laughs> if make the prequels better. <laughs> like, <laughs> they
3: absolutely do. They yeah. absolutely do.
1: So, I mean, that's the general plot of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll start with, did y'all like the split narrative?
0: <sighs> okay, so I didn't mind the Anakin Thrawn stuff. I'm minded that Padme had her own chapters Yeah. that totally took me out of the story of what was happening. I was like, you know, get, get a hundred pages into what Padme is doing with these dudes. And like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thrawn and Anakin are here. I totally forgot about those guys.
2: I, it's going to sound really dumb. I like the idea on paper, just not on this paper. Um, If you tell me that's the idea, these two dueling narratives, I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. Um, But as Beth pointed out, it's actually three narratives. Right. um, Because Padme comes in in a big way. And um, you just mentioned the fact that, and we joke about it all the time, you know, the expanded universe, you know, saving the prequel since 1999. The one character I think that still has yet to be completely solved is Padme Amidala. We'll get to Queen Shadow. Which yeah. I think is the best depiction of her to date. I agree. However, I even with that, I don't think that any of the authors or or comic writers or even the car on the cartoon, nobody has figured out what makes her special. Um, other than her just being a good person. They haven't really they haven't nailed her character yet. We've Anakin has been saved by Clone Wars and by Matt Lanter's performance. Um even Jar Jar Binks is more bearable in Clone Wars. Yep. than he was in movies. Characters like Mace Windu and, and, and people that maybe we thought were awkward in the movies, they, they get new life on the, on the, on the cartoons and in the, the books. Padme hasn't... She has not completely been redeemed yet.
1: Which, you know, I don't understand because out of all, you know, the characters in the prequel movies, to me, Padme seems like the easiest to kind of go from as far as the newest. I mean, her character should be she's the one that sees it she sees through the emperor yes or at that point palpatine and i mean really if you look at it she's the only one that sees through him the jedi suspect him they don't like that he's doing all this power but they still just think of him as a politician he's a politician doing politician things padme sees him as he's corrupt something's wrong um as the movies go on or really the republic she's this the one is how, this, this is how going.
2: democracy dies
1: yeah exactly that should be easy to write versus this padme who you know she's kind of running around and a lot of talk about the clothes she changes into i don't know why they were obsessed with that in this one
2: she's um, leia she's leia light right yeah <laughs> she really that's, is. that's all they figured out how to do with her is just make her like leia yeah. and um, and she's not Leia, and she shouldn't be. And it doesn't—I don't know—I haven't figured it out yet. And, and you're right; she should be fairly easy. She's 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 normal. She doesn't have superpowers or anything like that. She's a person. You should be able to just write a person. Right. Um, and I think this is probably one of the best depictions of her. hmm Um, but even on the sh- on Clone Wars, uh, where everybody got good stuff, she just always her episodes always dragged a little bit, and. When you get into this book, and I agree with Beth uh, as much as I want to like her, um, when we get to her story, when we get to her chapters, she's so disconnected from everything else, and we don't inherently have this interest in her. It just – this tra- those chapters grind the book to a halt. They just right. really do. They're because incredible.
1: there's really nothing in those chapters that you need for the rest of the story. Like what difference is it? Between Padme gets there, finds out something's wrong, and then goes out to the Separatist factory and gets locked up. Like that's all you need for the rest of the book. All the other stuff that happens is completely unimportant.
2: I like that they don't rescue her. I like that she rescues them. I mean, yeah. I think that's nice, and that's you know something that you know you, you want to do in a in a more modern day book, but. Um, it just, the stuff in between is just isn't interesting. It's just not. I just it
0: just felt like it was filler. Like we didn't need any of that for the
1: story. Yep. Right. So now here's where we're going to inject one of the things that I know. Um, when okay. I saw um, Zon speak at Dragon Con last year, one of the questions was what is one character you have asked to use and were are not allowed? At that point, he revealed that in this book, Love originally, it. it was not Padme, it was Ahsoka. Ahsoka, yeah. Like, would that have changed the book significantly? Like, would it have made it better? Yes. Absolutely. I think so, too. <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. having, and it would have been, I think they said at the time, it would have been after Clone Wars. So this would be the first time, and it makes sense why they didn't let it happen, because this would be a pre – or a post leaving the Jedi Ahsoka. Yes, this so does take place
2: after she leaves the
1: uh, – Yeah.
2: Place, yeah. And the so the guess, flashback. The flashback takes place yeah, before after she leaves the Jedi Order.
1: Yeah, so this would have been like their – um Reunion. Reunion. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I guess maybe they knew about the new season of Clone Wars, and so they're saving it for.
2: Well, they ha- they had other story arcs planned for Clone Wars and later seasons that were also going to involve bringing them back together. Right. Um, She was not going to be off the show if they had done more seasons. Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah, I think would have made a better book. Yes. Um, <laughs> clearly, just because uh, so it was just so much more interesting.
1: Right. Although you probably wouldn't need that whole third act with Anakin because, you know, you have Ahsoka, she gets taken to the separatist factory and then Ahsoka takes care of business, the end.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well and that's something I wanted to bring up was the the, the stuff with Anakin and and Thrawn and I don't mean this dismissively, but I guess I kinda do. It just felt like an episode of Clone Wars. Let's just go blow up a factory. And, it, yeah. didn't, and it, yeah. didn't feel, it didn't feel – it didn't feel – the magnitude of it wasn't what I wanted in a book that was about Thrawn and Vader teaming up. It felt like a very small book for, for the cover with Vader and Thrawn. And this is probably going to be the only story we get with the two of them together considering everything else going on.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it just felt like, oh, they just blow up a factory. And then yeah. – You know, And yeah, the consequences of blowing up the factory are that Anakin basically destroys a world. Um, And then they come back to it later. And there's so much of the cat and mouse game of does Thrawn know he's Anakin that it kind of gets annoying. You're like, I know you're not going to answer this, Tim. I know you're not going to answer this, so just stop it. Mm. Um, uh, I felt that stuff to be very distracting. This book was hard for me to finish. I don't think it's terrible, but I didn't find it compelling very compelling. Um, yeah. I think you're right, Beth. I think when I stopped, when I, because I stopped reading it for a while and I think I stopped reading it because of the Padme stuff um, because it just stopped the story.
0: Well, I just got to where I would skip ahead on audible. I had audible fold up and I would just <laughs> skip, 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 skip. Cause I read it more. Th- I listened to it more than once. And so after the first time I was like, nope, Padme chapter, skip ahead. Another <laughs> Padme chapter, skip ahead. And, it, it, it's not terrible, it's just, I felt like the first book was so much set up that there should have at least been a little bit of payoff here. And, you know, the the stuff with Thrawn and Vader was good, but there was just so much of the other stuff. Uh-huh.
2: Well, we also didn't have an Eli. Um, we didn't have an Eli Vanto, so we were stuck with, in both stories, two extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't have a normal person observing it. And and so you got more of Thrawn front and center and more of Anakin front and center and Vader front and center. And you didn't have that, what Eli brought, which was a normal person's point of view of these people. Um, And I have started to believe after these three books that maybe a little Thrawn goes a longer way (laughs) that maybe when he's front and center in, in next episode, we'll talk about the future for Thrawn, but I just feel like maybe I I don't know it was a little too much Thrawn or a little too much of of this without enough uh, there was there wasn't a lot of humanity in the book in my opinion Um, but uh, it's it's not great (laughs) I mean it's it's not not great everything's on rights is not great you know
1: I thought the Vader part was better like the Vader I enjoyed the Vader Thrawn sections better than the Anakin Thrawn. And I kind of liked the little tests they would do, you know, a lot of it is them kind of, kind of figure out how the grisks work and how they're going to respond. You know, if we let them a ship go, where will it go? If we capture this, what will this guy do? Um, I thought those were good.
2: Um, I I liked Vader being smart enough to, even the, when he was challenging Thrawn's loyalty, still being smart enough to understand, to, to see how things played out and to learn (laughs) things tactically. Um, and I have nothing but respect for Timothy Zahn, but can we talk about how lazy the there's a disturbance in the force, go find it, beginning to the book <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It really is. You can't find another way to team up Vader and Thrawn other than the Emperor going, I felt something. I don't know what it is. Go out there. Go find it. Yeah. And you're like, uh, and, it, and, it, and yeah, it's a mystery, but it's not a mystery that, that got me hooked at all. It was just so vague, and and it feels like such a crutch to just say a disturbance in the force, you know. Yeah. And 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 it's it's like prophecies, you know. It's just a it's just a sh- it felt like such a shortcut. He was like, well, I got to get them on the adventure together, and I only have a chapter to do it.
1: Yeah. And is some you know hyperspace kids being kidnapped really going to create a disturbance in the force? I, I, I don't know. I mean. But, uh, he
0: could have had more than a chapter to set it up if he'd left out some of that Padme crap.
2: <laughs> but I, even, I would even say, like, it would make sense if Palpatine sent him to find some Force-sensitive children. Mm-hmm. Right, you're right? Because that's one of the things he does. He's going around and, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: purge, still purging whenever he can.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, you could have really made it easy. Yeah, Vader's out there and he finds some little blue-skinned kid.
2: Yeah.
1: Who's Force-sensitive and then go from there, but...
2: Yeah, or or just something, or there's there's word of a force sensitive child or something, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that would be a little more sense. But just a disturbance in the force, which is a phrase that we just use, that the that, that Star Wars just uses willy nilly sometimes. Um, uh, it felt, you know, I mean, that's a disturbance in the force, and then also uh older on blowing up. Okay, I believe Obi-Wan can feel older on blowing up.
1: Yeah, that makes <laughs>
2: sense. <laughs> you know? But like what was going on in this book did not at all register as a disturbance in the force to me. Right. These kids
0: were really, really scared, Chad.
2: They were really scared. I'm not I'm not saying that. And I like and I'll say I do like the idea of them being their, their nav computers because I like when they recognize that different cultures have different technology. Mm-hmm. This, that not everyone has the same type of hyperdrive. Not everyone has the same type of weapons. I like that. It's a it's a galaxy. It's not yeah. you know. And I like they
1: that, way, that they lose the power. Like I like yeah. the idea of yeah. You know what? Kids have it and then you grow out of it.
2: Well, and, and that's what saves them, right? If, right. If that didn't happen, to them, Vader would kill all of them.
1: Yep. Yeah. You
2: know. So I I do like that. But uh, I know you want to talk about the Grisk.
1: Oh, the Grisk. All right. What's the damn deal with the grits? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody 100% Understand it. I mean, we get vague, like, yes, they come to your planet and I don't know, overwhelm you with sadness or something. You get scared of them and then you work for
2: them. Like emo vong.
1: Yeah, I just I don't know. And they w- come they come
0: in, they get you really high and you're just like, man, you guys are awesome. I'm going to do whatever you say.
2: Yeah, yeah I'd be down for that. That's my type of invasion. That's my type of invasion. <laughs> I think I read the word Grisk like twelve times in the book before I understood what they were even talking about. Uh huh. Like I like I was like oh okay, and I was like oh wait, is this an alien species? Like what are they talking? Like it just it, it made so little impact on me while I was reading it that I, I had to go back and be like read the explanation again. I apparently just glazed over it, and uh and yeah, they were very vague. I still don't really know what they look like. Uh, I don't
1: at all. I, I think I that's intentional. There's some spikes involved. I know that (laughs) because every once in a while they'll talk about that. Um,
2: Now, Clone Wars was going to bring the Vong on in like season seven or eight, right? That was part of their plan.
1: That was part of the plan, apparently.
2: It was scrapped. And it does feel – they feel too similar to the – how do you pronounce it? Yuzan Vong?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yuzan Vong. um, uh, I guess – well, no. We're in deep. If you don't know who they are, look them up. (laughs) Um, <laughs> look up the uh, the last what was it called the last Jedi Order No, what was the new Jedi Order new Jedi Order, yeah. Yeah. The Jedi Order series of like forty five hundred books yeah
1: things get real weird in those books get real
2: weird real, real sad <laughs> yeah um, RA Salvatore still probably gets death threats um, um yeah it, it's 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 weird it's kind of like Nightswan it just doesn't quite land
1: it, it doesn't and the problem is. They're like a big part going forward. I think. I mean, we'll talk about the next book, but I mean, it ends with Thrawn basically saying, "Like, yeah, this is a major threat to the Empire, and the Chiss are about to have a civil war because some of them have already aligned themselves with the Griss." And but like, I, I just I, don't, I don't get care. it. I don't either.
2: <laughs> like, do, do you why you think are they? This a is the threat. Do you think this is the threat he's warning Palpatine about? Because I do. I
3: See, do,
2: I do yeah. not I do not because he doesn't refer to them that way in this book he just talks about them as his mythological warriors and pirates or whatever and he doesn't believe it but I didn't feel that they were the existential threat that he's talking about but maybe I, I'm wrong
1: yeah I mean See, that's my what I felt like they were yeah i saying it was like part of the Chiss was already falling to him so he's going to get the Empire to bring him back or hopefully to get yeah. up his allies yeah. to fight against him um, I do
2: like this idea of the Chiss observing the Republican and the Empire from a distance to see if they would be, if uh, if if they would be uh, helpful yeah. uh, in future endeavors. I do like the idea that that the Chiss have been around more than we know,
3: um, mm-hmm.
2: uh, observing things. That's why you know you have got to mention Thrawn. This is right now in the current timeline. Thrawn and Anakin is the earliest we've seen him. Um, right. This is well before his his. Uh, concocted exile in the uh-huh. first book um and uh and so it's interesting um to, to see that they were sending these kind of scouts out into the into our galaxy um, uh-huh. to to learn uh, what what the empire or what the republican the empire the same thing were about i again i find all that interesting but if it is just the grisk you're like Okay. But,
0: but Chad, the they're so persuasive.
1: They, they are.
0: So and they have,
1: they have their sweet MacGuffin device that'll pull you out of hyperspace and then disappear again. I hated those
2: stupid things. Yeah. What was that? Fraggle? Convincing John? Anyway, um... Sorry. <laughs> There's a Fraggle, Fraggle rock called Convincing John that they would just bring in. He could just convince anybody to do anything. Yes. Um, yeah, it seems... Uh, it seems unnecessary, and we'll get into it more next episode, but it seems, um, again, it seems like he's concocting a threat that just doesn't, it doesn't land. <laughs> it just doesn't land. There's nothing, at least with the Vong, like, you can, you know, I don't love that series that much, but they felt threatening. Yeah. They were scary and destructive, and uh, they killed Chewbacca for, fuck, for you know, they killed <laughs> Chewbacca. Like, they were scary from the beginning.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and if you're going to come from the Unknown Regions, let's get weird. Like, bring some weird stuff in. Yeah. Um, I mean, these guys just feel like some other gangsters who have figured out how to make planets um, go to their will or whatever the hell it is they do.
2: Yeah. Again, they were vague. Um, I didn't – I think I finished the second book still not knowing what they were. Yeah. And – And only upon going back and reading, going like, "Oh, really? Oh, okay. All right." They were spreading through the. Oh, okay. Uh Um, You know, their Wikipedia entry is pretty slim. (laughs) But uh, yeah,
1: I'm hoping in the future because I did like this book. So now we have Chiss Force Sensitive's. Um, I. It was interesting. I think you know they're all mostly female. but I'm wondering, like, all right, so do they have – are we going to see basically like Chiss Jedi or, you know, more Chiss kids using different powers in the future? Maybe in the new trilogy when we see more of the Ascendancy, but I wouldn't mind seeing that.
0: Well, obviously there's – there's they know more about it than we've we've been led to know because the one thing that I thought was really cool was when – Thrawn knew more about what Vader could do than Vader did when he had him navigate.
1: Oh, yeah. And,
0: I mean, surely he knows more than he's telling. If he knows that Vader can do
2: this... Well, he knows that their Force sensitives can do that, right? So, why can't he... But does he?
0: he really know what the Force is, exactly?
2: Um, I don't know. You know, He's supposed to know everything, right? He's Thrawn. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's thrown i i yeah i mean i agree with you i but i think that when he has vader navigate that's to to you know set up the idea of these force sensitive navigators later you know all they needed was a sith wayfinder anyway um <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it's it's um you know there have been people asking whether or not you know they think thrawn is force sensitive which i think is no nah. um uh, I said I like the idea of hooking up these kids and using them as navigation equipment. I think that's fine. Um, but uh, as far as what that means for the Ascendancy and Jedi, I think in order for them to be Jedi, they'd have to come to—I'm uh, gonna call it our galaxy for some reason, even though we do not live there. It's a—it's—it's it's very far away. But um, come to our galaxy and learn like and learn the Jedi ways. But by the time they could, the Jedi are all gone. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll see a, a Sith Jedi. Although I was reading, God, I was just reading a comic recently and it had a, it. had a jet. It had a chiss in it. I mean, it was like a Rebellion era comic that had a chiss, trying to remember. Was it the Star Wars from today? It might have been the Star Wars that came out today. Um, oh yeah, I'm behind. But, yeah, yeah, you're on. Yeah, I, I only read the Star Wars books, so I go ahead and buy them. So yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's 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 not the easiest read. It's not.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So one more thing I did want to talk about this book. Of course. Uh, Rook is back.
3: <laughs> yes,
1: yes. And he just kind of shows up. <laughs> like.
0: Yeah, that's what he does, right? Maybe I'm he was glad. just invisible the last book. You don't yeah. know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm glad he's back. I like Rook, but he just kind of like is around in this book. And they never really explain him or where he came from.
2: How much time has passed between these books?
1: I don't know. A good question. I mean – The Death Star is not complete yet.
2: No, but at the very end of the first book, Price is already Price invites him to Lothal to fight the Phoenix crew.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess
2: you got a couple years. Yeah. Until you know, and then in this book, it's because this book, the 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 Vader Thrawn stuff takes place between season three and four of Rebels. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first book t- takes place right – ends right before the first season of Rebels or right in the, during the first season of Rebels. Right. I guess – well, Price doesn't show up until season two, does she?
1: Yeah, but even those – I mean there aren't many years in there. It's no. not a lot of time. No.
2: no, I would like to see where Rook came from. You're absolutely correct. There is no indication of where Rook came from.
1: Yeah, um, he's just around now. And here's my invisible lizard friend. He's kind of <laughs> like slink in the background on your ship and sneak in.
2: It would be amazing if like the original book was written like in, in there's stuff in invisible ink. <laughs> that if you went through and like put water on your original version, the stuff with Rook would pop out. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's weird um he does just kind of show up and is that badass rook that you know i mean will probably not stab him in the chest with a spear but
1: yeah it's looking not
2: yeah it's looking like not not this time around um but it's um yeah no i i hadn't even thought about it i i'm so used to rook just being thrawn's bodyguard Mm -hmm. that it didn't even occur to me that he wasn't in the first book (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: and then that's I don't the know where he came about from. about
1: this one. He just shows up, and I was like, "Well, there he is, okay."
0: Yeah, uh, right. I didn't even notice he was missing in the first book until he showed up in the second book, and I was like, "Oh yeah, where
1: the hell was he?"
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he must have picked him up somewhere. Maybe that's a story we're gonna get, you know? Um,
1: Maybe that's in one of like those little kid, like, you know, the books for six to seven year olds they made for rebels.
2: Dude, <laughs> I read like, those. I read those too.
1: <laughs> Thrawn's special friend. <laughs>
2: yeah I mean I don't
0: it, know it, if if what Rook does is a book for kids
2: that's true It's true I mean I you know, thought he was effective in this I thought it would I, I yeah. like the bat- the battle between him and the other soldiers
1: yeah I really liked you know they, this book had Commander command in it and yeah. just the constant get off my ship and then rook's just in the ship and the back <laughs> yeah. doing yeah. stuff <laughs>
3: um, yeah.
1: so yeah I thought they did that really well. So overall, I think, you know, I think we agree, not the best book, probably the worst of the trilogy. Um, I would say, yeah,
2: I would say. I, the one thing I would like to point out is this book is significantly shorter than the previous one, and the next one is as well. I remember when, I think, when Treason came out, I think you, Ryan, said that it felt really small, felt really short.
1: It does.
2: And they're both just over 300 pages, 330 pages, while the first, where the throne was like well over four.
1: Yeah. Well, I know um, he's
0: trying to crank them out, but you know, we we could put a little more in.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't mind a short book if it, you know, gets to the point, but we just talked about how Treason felt like it, or how Alliance sorry, Alliance felt like it had too much filler. Mhm. And yet it's the shortest book of the bunch. Right. No. You know, so maybe he realized that there's it just wasn't a whole lot of story there. Um, yeah,
0: he's
1: writing it and he's going, "Oh shit, I better wrap this up."
2: No. Yeah, I now, just don't have enough story. Yeah. And I wonder
1: with alliances how much Rebels hindered him, because you know, with the first one, I doubt you know Rebels doesn't care how he gets where he is. You, no,
2: and it ends right before Rebels starts.
1: Right. Right. right Whereas this book, we definitely have. You've got to make sure you don't contradict Rebels and you don't overstep rebels so i mean by necessity it probably keeps your story a little smaller
2: well like uh, you said with batu and everything this feels like the most controlled like the most uh, heavily vetted book he's ever written for star wars um where where he's not in control of everything <laughs> you know not every decision being made in this book is his by a mile you know um it's it's it, it's reeking. It reeks with. And again, I like this, but it's reeking with having to match the new continuity with uh, having to sell tickets to Disneyland. Right. right? Um, with just making sure that the timeline fits out with this and with introducing characters that are going to be on the cartoon and be other things. Um, these this book feels more than any of the others. I think it feels it feels weird. It feels licensed in a way that Zahn books usually don't hmm. Like, yeah. it feels like they could have got anybody to write this as a tie in. It's almost a tie in for Rebels.
1: Yeah. Well, and the ending of it, like the big like, all right, Vader and Thrawn, you know, Vader reluctantly trusts him now. And his big payoff is Vader is now going to somewhat support and recommend the TIE Defender program. Yes. Which, you know, feels like, a, all right, great. It's just a tie in to Rebels. Um, which yeah. I've never said, what is up with the TIE Defender program? Like, I just don't see.
2: What's the, the big th- deal about it?
1: What Thrawn's big deal with it is. It, it doesn't feel to me like, I mean, I understand his justification, having ships that can better fight the rebels strategically.
2: And that have shields and things. And,
1: right. But as far as Thrawn goes, it's never felt, and even on rebels, which I love. Tie Defender just never felt like a big Thrawn plan.
2: Maybe you know, and this is pure speculation. Maybe he there's a belief that that's going to be what they need to fight the unknown enemy or something. Yeah. Maybe there's a long term plan with it.
0: Yeah. He he is always thinking ahead.
2: You know, so that's possible. It does seem I have thought about that as well. I mean, you know, if if he was Krennic, right, and he had this or a guy like Krennic and he had this Starfighter program and and all of his success in the empire is predicated on it succeeding, then that would make a lot of sense, but he doesn't really care about that stuff. Right. Right. Um, If it, if the, if the defender program failed, he would just move on to the next idea. um, It seems. And, and it does, you know, and we'll get into uh, with treason where he really like, he, he goes to the mat for this program over and over again. Yeah.
0: Well, I was just rereading the first book, and I got to the part where he's talking about – he's just trying to figure out what the Death Star program is because he's heard these rumors. Yeah. And he tells – I guess he's telling Vanto that the Empire's operating under the misconception that bigger equals better.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, see, him being against the Death Star totally makes sense to me, putting all your eggs in one basket that you can't predict the enemy like that's a very throng thing to me but the plan being he wants these ships just never does and i get it part of rebels too is you know it's a kid's show so yeah. you know kids understand blue guy wants to make cool new toy spaceship
2: <laughs> and sell them to you possibly if <laughs> right they possibly can no I, I yeah but i i don't disagree with you but i think it gives a nice attention um between him and Tarkin and Krennic and all that stuff, you know, going out there. And, and it, it it deposits him into that, like I said earlier, it deposits him into that political situation that we've seen through Rogue One
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: and those other things, you know. Yeah, the more we talk about this book, the more it just feels like a tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> the more it just legitimately just feels like a tie-in. And maybe that's why it's so short. yeah um, mm-hmm you know where he's just like "Eh, okay just give me the list of stuff i gotta put in here you know all right we gotta show thor having some kind of vision quest fine we'll put that in the middle of the movie wait that's (laughs) like do whatever but like it just it just felt yeah it feels so it feels so licensed at times um and uh and again i just i just wish someone could nail padme i we said we'll get to EK johnson's depiction of padme and i think it's way better um and much more interesting but i still don't think it's great and um at least this one was less episodic than the first one. Right. But I think that may hurt it because with an episodic story, if you don't like one episode, you got another one coming up, right? So if, so if you get to one episode and you're like, well, like the academy stuff I really liked, and then the Tabana Gas sequence in the first one I didn't care as much about, but don't worry, there's another episodic, there's another sequence coming up that'll be like kind of its own little story. Um, but when you have two continuing stories like this that, that span the entire book, if you don't care about them, the book's doomed, right? Yeah. The book is just toast. Um, there are some great – there are some things to love about it. There's a lot of Clone Wars details in the, uh, in the flashback story. Um, so there's, if you're a Clone Wars fan, there's a lot of cool stuff to be living in that, that galaxy. And it really is the first story I think we have of Anakin post-Ohsoka Osoka. Uh-huh. One, of, one of the only stories we have of Anakin post Ahsoka until, you know, a couple weeks from now. Woohoo. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: and uh, I'm so excited. But uh, and so that's interesting. I like the fact that um, one of the things these both these books show is in these early days of the Empire, um, they're still using Venerator, Star Destroyers and V-Wings, uh-huh. as mentioned a lot, which which makes a lot more sense. It doesn't make sense that Palpatine would be like, I am the Emperor and the next day TIE fighters start flying. Like, but also since they're in the outer rim, they probably got the old stuff anyway, you know? Right. So, so I, I like seeing that, you know, I like when the authors try to, you know, I, I'm not a prequel hater. Uh, I don't consider them good movies, but I'm not a hater of them. But I, so I like it when, when Star Wars creatives tie in the good stuff from the prequels, um, into everything else. And, uh, and, and so I think it, it does that well. Um, it's just, the narrative is just a little less than compelling. Yeah. Okay, so that'll be it for this week. Next week, we are going to come back and we're going to finish out the trilogy with Thrawn Treason. And then we're going to discuss it and discuss it in the context of discuss all three books in the context of the new canon. um, And also probably do a little compare contrast with the original Thrawn trilogy. Uh, The the original Thrawn trilogy is a very important piece of work in uh, Star Wars history um it basically was the boom that created the expanded universe um unless you count the han solo novels and it uh, and so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna have a nice discussion about that
0: stop saying next week i don't want dave hitting me up next week going where's the new episode why, are, <laughs> why aren't you well, doing we'll, a new we'll, episode right now
2: we'll just bank them it'll be fine uh, <laughs> sorry um and then of course we'd like to say thank you to mr dave west at uh needless things for uh putting this show up apparently unless he listens to it and doesn't want to <laughs> <laughs> but it's content he'll take it okay are we good sounds great all, all right. right we'll see you next time all
0: right thanks everybody you have been listening to a needless things podcast you can follow needless things on facebook twitter instagram
3: and at needless love you mean it? Uh-huh.